0: Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Brilliant. Welcome back everyone. Welcome to those watching online. As I uh, was scrolling through uh, online, you know, this morning we've got people joining us from Sydney, from Malawi, from Kenya... And from Wales. <laughs> so it's beautiful to be joined uh, from people all over the globe and joined together to worship and to share from God's Word. So we're going to take a moment to share a word. And just before I do that, I just want to commend again the uh, Street Business and Entrepreneurs Breakfast. Uh, just we are passionate about being about being light in the city and one of the main ways we do that is in our workplaces. So if you are working in a business, if you are wanting to maybe dream of setting up your own business project, if you just want to engage with people who share a vision for the workplace, that is going to be amazing. To be honest, come for the breakfast, if nothing else. I I know the breakfast would be amazing, but this is such a significant point and way we outwork our vision, so gas street, business entrepreneurs breakfast, second of October. I believe as a church, we are in a moment of galvanization. We're in a galvanizing moment. I believe God is galvanizing us to be a people, a community that go deeper in our worship. Wonderful to gather here and just see the freedom and the joy in our worship. But also, I believe this is a moment where God is galvanising us to step out into action, to outwork this great vision to be light for the city. And of course, to galvanise something is to shock and to awaken it into activity. But I'm also aware, as we gather today, some of us still feel fragile, weary, weary, feels like life is beginning to (laughs) fly past us at 100 miles an hour, but you don't feel you're quite firing on all cylinders. I was really comforted by this, a quote from two doctors in the Washington Post. said this, If you're experiencing increased sadness or anxiety along with an urge to dramatically change something about your life, some of the markers of pandemic flux syndrome, sounds like something more from Back to the Future, but hey-ho, Be assured you're not alone. Many people are feeling such tensions. Although human beings are more resilient than we generally appreciate, it will take time for many of us to stably recover, reflect and recalibrate. Has anyone else, I wonder, had a moment over the last month or so we thought, you know, I might just quit everything and become a professional golfer. Or, you know, I might just up and leave and set up a beach cafe in the Caribbean. Anyone else? (laughs) Just, Just me. Oh, no. Good. Good. The truth is we have been through an extraordinary Time of change and turmoil, this unique period of our world's history has had an impact upon us. Foolish to think that we just carry on with our lives without carrying something of the chaos of the last 18 months. And one of the ways I think we've seen humanity change is there's a craving for comfort, a craving for just a sense of certainty in the midst of so much uncertainty. And maybe you're here today or watching online and you know that you, you've been trying to find a way just to soothe yourself. Perhaps priorities have shifted. Maybe without realising it, we've become a little bit more self-absorbed. Maybe a bit more risk-adverse. Perhaps certainly a bit more wary of people. You know, Are they going to be a super spreader? He coughed. She coughed. <laughs> it's had a mark on us. But I believe God is wanting to call different ones of us back to Him, to putting Him at the centre of our lives, to finding our comfort and our hope and our joy and our purpose in Him. He's drawing us back, I believe, to our first love. And for some, God is galvanising us to return to Him. But for others, I believe God is beginning to propel you out. Maybe you're here and you... You just feel bored. You feel a lack of purpose. You feel like you've been sleepwalking through this little period of your life. And I believe God is here by his Spirit to galvanise some of us, to get out of the boat, to step into the river and into this new adventure of serving him. And last week we shared some of the things that God is doing, some of the opportunities ahead of us. And I believe God is wanting to call some of us to step out into some of these areas. So we're just going to watch a video that explains again something of the vision, something of the things that lie ahead. Watch this. It's exciting, isn't it? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, too late, too late. Uh, it's really exciting. We, if you want to find out more, go to our website. We're going to send an email out if you're on Church Week, which give you links you can follow to find out more. But today, I want to talk about giving Q, awkward, pause. But not giving in terms of fundraising. We gotta raise this money for this project. No, giving in terms of worship. Jesus spoke a huge amount about this topic of giving. Not because he wanted to fund you know, more of his ministry. You know, I need a private jet to fly me all over the Middle East to preach the gospel. No, he spoke about giving because he understood the grip and the hold that money could have over us as his people. He knew that our bank balances and our spending ultimately reveal what we worship. And in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's a stark choice before us. Is it going to be God? We put him first in our everything, our money, our work, our families. Or is it going to be money and all that that brings and represents Because the truth is, there's a battle going on for our affections and our attentions. And if you're here today, and as we begin to speak about giving, you feel uncomfortable, you find this topic very difficult, I want you to reflect and pray, what what does that say? What does that perhaps reveal about what's going on deep in your heart? Because maybe the reason you find this topic really difficult is because... There's some journeying to do around your levels of trust in Jesus. And if I give, will he provide for me? Will he look after me? I feel more confident having savings than I do trusting that God will provide. Or perhaps it reveals maybe have you fully grasped the depths of God's love for you? Because when you understand the depths of God's love, then the thought of giving becomes a joy. In Mark's Gospel, There was a moment where Jesus was in the temple. He was at the the treasury where people would come forward to give. And it says that he was sat down watching. He was watching what was going on. And people were coming and bringing gifts. And then this widow came forward. It says this in Mark 12. Um, Basically, this widow comes. She brings two cents, two small coins. In the eyes of the world, it's nothing. It's not going to make any difference. But... He's blown away by this. So he gathers his disciples together and he says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury, into the offering, than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. This is a fascinating story. Firstly, it's a reminder, Jesus is watching our giving. He watches, he sees. And... Again, he cares about this because it's a sign, a revelation of your understanding of him. But also, I love the fact that whilst there are people bringing large gifts of money, it's this widow that Jesus, he gathers his disciples together. He's excited. You know, she has given an extravagant offering. That two coins, two cents, it's not going to be able to fund anything. It's not going to sort of. Mean that the temple can now afford to buy a kind of gold plated cup that sits on the altar. But she gave her heart. Her gift was an offering of worship. And so Jesus celebrates this woman who's given out of gratitude. Now, before we jump deeper into this, I just want to give a couple of asides. Firstly, If you're brand new here, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you're new to church, maybe you don't believe in Jesus Christ, well, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. I just want to say, we don't preach every week about money. We're not after your money. We're not going to ask you for your money. You you can relax. If you've come with a friend, you can sit back and watch them sweat the next 20 minutes. But we're glad you're here. I hope you maybe find this talk fascinating in terms of a biblical view of giving. But the second thing is to say, you might be here and when we talk about giving money, there's incredible sense of anxiety. Maybe even a sense of shame because your finances are in a bad place. You know, maybe you're in debt. Maybe this last six months, the pandemic has massively affected you. And so you feel really overwhelmed. Well, I want to be clear. Jesus is here today not to dump more weight, nor more pressure, more burdens, more guilt upon you. No, Jesus came. What did he come to do? He came to set us free. But maybe you need to reach out and say, look, I need a bit of help. I need some guidelines, some guidance. And we're so thrilled that we've opened up a CAP Centre led by the amazing Leanne D. And if you need to reach out, you want to get some input, call that number Email Leanne. Details are on our website. Get some help. That could be an amazing next step for you. In another story of Jesus, we see again him celebrate and honor someone who gave an extravagant offering of worship. We find it in John 12, verse 1. It says this Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus died, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to, to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief, as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. A dinner is thrown for Jesus' honour. Mary, who was known to Jesus, was there. And she pours out this perfume that was worth a year's wages. I don't know what your year's wages is. Is it £20,000 or £200,000? But that is an incredibly extravagant, costly offering that was just poured out and wasted over Jesus' feet. And Judas Iscariot is horrified. And he said, what are you doing? What a waste. This could have been given to the poor. But he didn't care about the poor. His motive wasn't that of compassion. The extravagance of Mary's worship And her giving challenged and offended Judas. You see, Mary and Judas had both spent significant time around the person of Jesus Christ. Heard him preach, watched him heal the sick. But you see, Mary responded to Jesus with her heart. She gave her heart, her all, her everything. Judas, he responded to Jesus with his lips. But his heart was far from Jesus. You honour me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Why was Mary so generous, so extravagant in her giving? Well, go back a chapter, John 11, and we see the story of Lazarus, her brother, who's dead. He's dead in a tomb. And Jesus arrives at the funeral and they're devastated, understandably. And Mary is weeping and Jesus sees the emotion and he he says to everyone, look, roll the stone away. Lazarus would have been buried in a cave. Roll the stone away. And everyone's like, you you can't. He's been dead for four days. It's going to absolutely stink. You cannot do this. But Jesus said, roll the stone away. And then in a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come out. And to everyone's amazement, Lazarus begins to come out with his grave clothes on and there's so much rejoicing. They throw a dinner party to celebrate and Mary is there looking at Lazarus, reclining with Jesus, eating food together, laughing together. She's like, oh my goodness. Moments earlier, he was dead, but this man, Jesus, has come and he's raised him to life again. He is incredible. What can I do to thank him? How can I show my depth of gratitude to him? She thinks, I've got to get something costly and that perfume—it is my security, my inheritance, my future, financially, as it were—and she just comes and she pours it all out over the feet of Jesus. It was an offering of love. Gratitude fueled her giving. She understood something of who Jesus was. I wonder, do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? Because we were Lazarus. We were dead in our sins. We were separated from God. But God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh, who walked on this earth to demonstrate and to reveal the kind of compassionate, loving, merciful God that we worship. And Jesus took that cross and on that cross, he took on himself all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our sin, all of our selfishness, and the greed and the pride. And he was crucified. He died and he was buried in a tomb. But then on the third day, Much like the story of Lazarus, the stone was rolled away and Jesus broke out, broke the power of sin, broke the power of death. The resurrected Jesus walked on the earth and he said, you now, can be free. You can know life in all its fullness. You can know my joy, my love, my hope, my healing, my peace. You can know my favour. You can know relationship with the Father. You don't need to be afraid to approach God. You can boldly approach the throne of God knowing that when God the Father sees you, He sees a pure, spotless child because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's called the great exchange. God took on Himself Our rubbish and he placed on us his life. And when we understand what we've been saved from, what we've been rescued for, how could we not want to give lavishly, generously? We don't ever give out of duty or obligation, we give out of love. We don't give out of law, we give out of love. I love what Tim Keller says about giving. He says, when you consider how much to give, don't sit down with a calculator. Sit down with the cross. Too many of us, when it comes to giving, I hope you're enjoying my daughter's lovely pink calculator. It's a Smiggle calculator. So this is like, for any parents, you know, this is top of the range. (laughs) We sit down with a calculator. (sighs) Got to pay my bills. Got to pay my tax. Got to give to the church, <clears throat> you know. And, and it's all duty, it's, it's obligation, it's guilt. That's not how we should give. We need to sit down with the cross. Oh, Jesus, as I consider what you've done for me, as I unpack the depths of your love for me, as I read about the hope and the plans and the destiny you have for me, wow! It, it just outworks joy and excitement and a sense of, I want to gladly give because I know that you are for me and I know that you are worthy of it. I know that giving is a response of worship is the greatest thing I could ever do with my money. Because the reality is you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. We've all given to things we don't love. You know, you're walking into town and someone's there shaking one of those jars, you know, give money to rescue cats from goodness knows what. And you're like, I'm not a cat lover, be honest. And you're like, what? what? I don't care. <laughs> Forgive me. But, you know, but you're like, you feel a sense of guilt and, oh, okay, I'll put 50p in, you know, bless a cat. But I'm giving, but there's no sense of love. But when you love, When you love someone or when you love something, oh, what a joy to give. You you almost forget, you lose count of how much money you're given because it comes from the depths of our hearts. Biblically, we see that giving is a significant, profound, important part of our worship. One of the calls on our church is to be a worshiping community, a house of worship. We've just enjoyed God's presence as we've gathered to worship. But our worship also needs to impact our choices and our giving. You know, there's two ways we love. There's the sense of emotional joy, deep connection, but there's also the intentional, consistent, faithful commitment. I think about my marriage to Rachel. There's the emotional engagement, the hubba, hubba, hubba. But then there is also that I love you. And so I'm going to put you first and I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to try and find out how I can bless you. I'm going to forgive you. People, I need to forgive Rachel regularly. I, I need to choose to honour her. And when it comes to our relationship with Christ, of course, there needs to be that, wow, the sense of encounter, the sense of wonder, enjoyment of God's presence. But it also must lead to intentional demonstration of our love, our devotion and our trust in him. So how can we grow in that intentionality? What does giving look like? Well, if you read through the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and Jesus encourages it as well in the New Testament. There's this principle of tithing. You bring 10%. So in the Old Testament, they would bring 10% of their crops and their harvest before the temple. They didn't have money back then as an offering of worship. Then they'd have other moments, other festivals, where they'd bring offerings above their tithe. And this was the base level. The base level of what it looked like for the people of God. It was something that set them apart from the people of the earth, the other people living on the earth. It was something that marked the people of God as different. And the reality is today in the Western church, the concept of tithing is struggling. People aren't tithing. A recent Barna study in the US on churchgoers and their giving found that practicing Christians on average gave between 3 and 4% of their disposable income. This this study found that 84% of millennials, those who were born between 1984 and 2002, gave away less than $50 a year. I mean, that is not close, close to tithing. And whilst these stats are for USA, the UK is very much the same and it would appear to me that if we want to see an awakening in our worship as a church we need to see a revival in our giving not from duty not from law but from love the question should never be how little can i give what can i get away with what's the minimum i use the illustration of i invite tebo to come and clean the windows of our house. And I say, "Tebo, I'm going to pay you 100 pounds. If you could clean the windows, it's going to take you most of the day. He comes, he's got his bucket, he's got his sponge, he's got his ladder. And he begins to wash the windows, and then I come back. At the end of the day, and Tebo runs up to me all excited, Tim, 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 I washed the windows, but I also noticed your gutters and your drains were blocked, so I cleared out all the leaves, all the gunk, I repaired them and I cleaned them. And, and, and then I noticed that the sills were a little bit chipped and busted, and so I kind of repainted them, sanded them off. They're all looking beautiful. And then, then I got this spray to get this light sparkle and shine on the windows. It looks amazing. And I say, Tebo, thank you, that is awesome. But actually, rather than giving you £100, I'm just going to give you £25. Outrageous, you can feel the injustice. If the people of Israel, the people of God, before the time of Jesus, gladly, willingly gave 10% a tithe above and beyond as a response of firstly, gratitude for all that God had done. They understood that every good and perfect gift came from Him. They gave as a way of saying, God, I trust You that You're gonna provide for me and for us. And it's a way of saying, God, I'm putting You first in my life. If they did that before, They actually saw and understood the extravagant love of God crucified on a cross. To me, it seems crazy that we would ever consider giving less. I mean, imagine if I sat down with Rachel and said, Rachel, look, help me out here, talk me through. What is the bare minimum I can put into this marriage for it to flourish and thrive? You know, The sex bit, fine, I'll I'll, I'll create time for that. But, you know, the helping out around the house with the children, you know, sacrificing to enable you to run with the call and the gifts you have in your life and, you know, finding time to do all the things I need to do and, you know, spending money on presents and Valentine's Day and Anniversary, you know. Just tell me, be clear, what is the bare minimum I can do for this relationship and marriage to thrive? And for anyone who knows Rachel, you know she would kill me if I ever said anything like that. That is not the language of love, of commitment, of covenant. And yet so easily, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we approach it, just what's the bare minimum? A friend of mine said, tithing isn't the ceiling of our giving, it's the floor. From a young age, I learned the principle of tithing. My parents modelled it. They encouraged us to do it. We do the same now with our children. Encourage them to do it. And I've loved being able to give, understanding that I give first and foremost as part of my worship, but also give to see God's kingdom at work here on earth, His church being built. It brings me huge joy for Rachel and I. To look around and see all that God is doing amongst us. We were in the middle of a really exciting season. We, over August, 270 children gathered from the community where we fed them and we loved them and we worked alongside them. Amazing. We've now got a job club where people can come to get skills and help to find new jobs and careers. We've got a debt center, which I mentioned earlier. There's a community shop. On Thursday, I was at Colmore Coffee. It was so moving to see so many people coming in to Colmore Coffee, being met with people in our church, having conversations and providing food for them and their families. We have people who are going into schools to provide Mentoring. Encouragement, our online stuff. Still weekly, we're getting so many encouragements and stories of people who are tuning in. Maybe you're watching today, who are meeting with Jesus, who are being encouraged, who are being envisioned to do all that they can do and all that God's called them to do. And I look and think, wow, that is happening because I gave, you gave, so many here are so generous, and you think what an amazing thing to be a part of. That's going to have an eternal impact. Nothing you buy here on earth will have an eternal impact. Nothing you do here on earth you can take with you to heaven. But when we give, it's part of our worship. God sees it and he blesses it. What we're seeing with online, on site, love your neighbor is really significant and special. And we all get to be a part of that. That should bring us great joy. And Jesus said, when you give, you'll be blessed. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now that doesn't mean you, know, you give £10 and then watch £100 will miraculously appear in your bank account. Now the truth is I've heard many, many stories like that. But when we give financially, God promises that he'll bless us that He'll provide for us. And what we find is that when we give, there's freedom, the chains of money and the power of you know, mammon are broken over us. When we give, there is joy, there is hope, there's life, there's great blessing. When we give, we, we, we begin to outwork a greater level of spiritual authority on our everyday living. When we give, we experience the favour of God upon us, upon our families. This isn't me saying it. This is the word of God saying it. In Malachi 3, and i end with this. God is speaking to the people of Israel who had grown weary, cold in their heart towards God and they'd stopped giving. And God says to them, it's powerful, challenging words. God says, you ask, how are we robbing you? God says, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. He's saying, look, you're not bringing a tithe. And when you don't bring the tithe, he's basically saying, you're robbing me. It goes on. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it the encouragement for all of us as we head off for lunch and to the rest of the week is please take a moment to sit down, not with a calculator. What do I need to do? But sit down with the cross. Sit down with Jesus. Pray that the Spirit of God would speak to you, would unlock your heart in terms of generosity to understand the depths of His love for you. And there are many ways you might feel called to respond. Now, for some of you, maybe you're brand new to this church. You've joined over the last little while. Maybe you joined during lockdown. You've been watching online. Now you're here in person. This is your home church. And if you haven't already started to give, I'd love to encourage you to prayerfully consider that. The way we encourage people to give is by standing order. Rachel and I, we we set up a standing order. So the first bit of money that comes out of our account is our giving to church here which is an offering of worship. And you might wanna do that. We're gonna email everyone, those who are on Church Suite, with links so you can do that or you can go to our website. But don't do it because I'm telling you to do it. Don't do it because you feel bad or guilty. Do it in response to Jesus Christ. That's why I don't wanna put any pressure on anyone today. I want you to go home and I want you to pray and ask God, what are you saying to me on this? But there are others here, maybe you could increase your giving. You know, you've been giving, but actually you're now getting paid significantly more than you were when you were giving previously. Or, or maybe you, you, you feel challenged around this principle of tithing. Maybe you want to try that. Maybe you want to increase your standing order. And then the other is maybe for some, you want to give a one-off gift. You got a job promotion, a bonus. You... Saved a lot of money over lockdown. Maybe God is calling you, encouraging you to give and to bring a one-off gift as part of your worship. We're going to close with a song. Why don't we stand? And in many ways, I think God's been ministering to us throughout the whole of this gathering. And you know, I walked in, people dancing on the stage. It's like, what on earth has happened? You know, I'll leave you all for ten minutes. And but it's amazing. Amazing God releasing freedom. People praying for, watching people being filled with the Spirit. God is at work. But this is the verse that's been, it's cut me to the quick this week and it's Matthew 15, 18, 15, I alluded to it. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. May it never be said of me that I honour God with my lips, but my heart, the reality of my life, the choices I make are far from God. May it never be said of us. You know, they, wow, they sing and they dance and they shout and they raise their hands on a Sunday singing about Jesus, but I don't see much evidence in their giving or their sacrificial love. So Lord Jesus, I ask that by your Spirit, you would come now and fill us afresh Lord, where some need that galvanising moment to be returned to the first love, to understand afresh the depths of your love, Lord, where people have got tired, complacent or familiar, familiar with you. Lord, may we never, ever, 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 ever become familiar with the cross, with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May we never just think, oh, that's something that happened in history and yeah, yeah, great, great, great. No, may we always find ourselves weeping, overwhelmed, stunned, amazed by the depths of Your love. And I just pray now, by Your Spirit, You'd awaken that first love. And Lord, I pray as well that You would release joyful generosity in us. Thank You for the generosity of this church. We're we're so moved, Rachel and I, by Your generosity. So this is encouragement as much to me as it is to all of us just to keep growing in what it is to be a generous church. Lord, show us this week what it looks like, how we can grow, how we can not just speak our love to you, but demonstrate our love to you. We're going to sing a song of worship. I'm aware of time. We're going to sing this. I believe God's Spirit is moving as we do this. And then we're going to head, uh, pick up children. But Lord, just come, meet with us. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website gastreet.org or follow us on Instagram at gasstreetchurch.